Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. My guest today works in the heart of blockchain for healthcare. She's a C-suite and a member of the board of directors, a serial entrepreneur with ample global experience. She has many talents and specializations. With 15 plus years in life science, healthcare innovation and digital transformation, she describes herself as a techie and nerd, my kind of woman. It's all about blockchain here today at Heads Talk, with some peripheral topics, of course, and I'm looking forward to the conversation ahead. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. Privcap Resources Group is a fast-growing Canadian-based private capital leaders platform, facilitating access to investment insights, resources and capital for its members. It runs senior level forums on private equity, venture capital and real estate under the brand name The Club Series in North America and the Euros Forum in Europe. Go Real 2021, its up and coming private equity real estate forum, will be held online this spring. For details, please visit us at www.clubseries.org. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Dr. Weave or Reinhard is the Chief Data Officer of D-Health Network by HIT Foundation. She's also the Head of Research and Development at Centivia Health. A board member to a number of organizations, Kui has a deep understanding of machine learning, high-performance computing, data processing, big data, data mining, and IT architecture and blockchain. Her scientific focus varies from drug design and development, reverse vaccinology, genomics, proteomics, to AI and health data. She's at the interface between technology and healthcare. One of her personal goals and drives is to ensure new innovation reach the people less likely to benefit from it. And at the same time, there is respect and protection of their personal data. We gains her self-named nerd title with her impressive academic achievements. She has an MSc, an MBA, and PhD in various scientific subjects. Named as the most influential blockchain lady in Europe and listed as one of the female digital innovators of 2020, Kui has a plethora of titles and awards to her name. We're not done yet. Kui has also been a vice dean and a lecturer in various universities in Germany, Canada, and Vietnam in subjects to include computational biomedicine, bioinformatics, programming for biologists, biophysics, and drug design. So without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome Wee to Heads Talk. Hello, Wee. Many thanks for joining us today. Hello, Ellen, and hello, everyone. Thanks for having me here. We're glad to have you here. Um, I'm just going to go get right into the questions and have my listeners hear some of your insights and thoughts on the topics that will be raised here today. Um, these first set of questions are about the administrative processes in the health sector, as well as some of the practices and trends. Okay, generally, how do you see the state of digitalization in the health sector? What are the issues and problems that you have observed? And, you know, side questions, what are the issues in Switzerland in particular and what countries would you say are advancing digitalization well in this sector, preferably with some examples? Yeah, um, in terms of digital transformation, I think the COVID has um, accelerated the adoption of um, digital 
digitalization effort worldwide mm -hmm. uh, and also in Switzerland from something from nice to have mm -hmm. to absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, however, um, I see there are many challenges. I would, I don't personally speaking, I don't like to use that the, the problems because mm -hmm. not okay. every problem has solution, but if okay. we have challenges, we have opportunities. So let's uh, see the challenges here in the technology itself. First on from someone is techie, nerdy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the, the major challenge and issue here is the digital user experience. Mm -hmm. um, means we are talking about IoT, AI, blockchain, digital tools, apps, connected devices, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and any form of technology itself, especially in healthcare sector, the end users must be taken into consideration in order to produce a product or the service that is easy to use. And as you see, not so many application achieve this goal. Mm -hmm. uh, secondly, um, as someone working long-term in data, so the problem of data processing and data privacy is always challenges. Um, we have data sitting in different silos, very fragmented, very, um, and the quality, I mean, the input quality is not always guaranteed. And it's, it's really difficult to deliver better and provide the personalized care as we wish to. On top of that, regulation and GDPR, especially in Europe, um, is really heavy fine, for example, 20 million or um, 4% of annual turnover make it more difficult and not easy to, to achieve for every, every big company. Mm -hmm. And of course, cybersecurity uh, that in every technology transformation, digital transformation, we have to see that the issue. Switzerland specifically, I actually, um, since we are more in advance, so thanks to the traditional strength in the healthcare sector, like science, and also the international ICT hotspot. So it's actually Switzerland offered the ideal environment mm -hmm. for innovative companies that if they want to come quickly and easily bring the innovation, the transformation, digital transformation into life. Um, but um, it's still a way to go uh, because the electronic patient record, the EPR, as you noticed, mm -hmm. was drawn out last year. Uh, why in many other countries, when you ask, it's more in advance. So for example, Estonia and other like Denmark, uh, Australia, they are more in advance. Mm -hmm. And when you check the electronic patient record as the citizen a resident in Switzerland, um, how many patients, sorry, how many citizens has come to know about this? And on the website, I only see two certified EPR providers mm -hmm. with according to the federal law. So there's no app. And for the mass adoption, I think it's need a long time to go. That's the whole. Okay. Um, I was gonna add to this question, but I, I want to read um, a statement of a, of a wish. And I'd like you to, talk about this um 
what I'd like to know is, are we there yet? I mean, based on what you're saying, it's probably not. But let me read this, nevertheless, and, and see if you can talk us to this. Um, okay, the statement, and I quote, um, I would like rapid automated collection of health relevant information, extracting new insights from a, the systematic evaluation of this information and making treatment relevant information available at the right time and place. Is this already happening? Is this in place? If not, what needs to happen to enable this? And if yes, please tell us about this or elaborate on what you've talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for the whole world, absolutely not, because the digital transformation is different from country to countries with national digital strategy. And not every country is on the same page, that's mm -hmm. clear. Mm -hmm. uh, specifically in Switzerland, I think that's the goal and could be achieved in the near future. As um, mentioned before, the electronic patient record mm -hmm. was drawn out last year. Um, however, we need more partners, healthcare stakeholders on board mm -hmm. to make it as the mass adoption. But um, previously I was talking about the, the US, the user experience is the key. Mm -hmm. um, that you need everyone involved and in the end of the day uh, to drive the citizen or the individual center research, uh, you need every people participating. And in the end of the day, they have to be incentivized to share or to use their health data. Mm -hmm. And that is, that's the obstacle. And also, you know, data privacy, data analysis, cybersecurity um, are some of the obstacles that we need to, to, to come over, but we are getting there. Okay, so we're getting there. We're not there yet, but we're getting there in, in the Swiss space. But in terms of global rollout, we're so not there yet. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. That's pretty much what I'm getting from you. Okay, um, let's now get into blockchain with a few questions in this space. Um, the first question is a hot topic in blockchain. Um, it's about sustainability agenda and the environment. Um, the way blockchain is used today is not good for the environment. It uses a lot of energy. Huge computation is required. Um, it was claimed last year that mining bitcoins and the computing power required to keep the network running consumes as much energy as was um, used by 159 of the world's nations. This is not sustainable. So in emerging markets and developing countries that rely heavily on fossil fuel, there is a, 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 there is a dilemma, isn't there? Um, how to leverage the energy? Do they light up factories, schools and hospitals or use the energy for blockchain computing? My question is, what are the developments in this space? Or what is being done about this? And are different countries being more proactive about a resolution to this than others? Well, as my background is, uh, I was a scientist. Mm -hmm. I tried to read the scientific papers and article uh, mm -hmm. about blockchain and environment. Mm -hmm. So at present, the environmental and sustainability implications of blockchain remain insufficiently analyzed. Mm. I mean, there is some, it's a myth. Um, so the most well-known implication of blockchain technology 
for uh, the environment related to its energy consumption. And therefore, maybe perhaps uh, it's possible have the negative impact on the climate. Um, nevertheless, um, so that's about Bitcoin, to mm -hmm. be precise. Mm -hmm. um, and energy consumption, mostly a, a problem for blockchain application for the proof of work consensus mechanism like Bitcoin. Um, the next generation of blockchain uh, normally use proof of state, proof of authority, proof, proof of elapsed time algorithm and other mechanism which are not dependent on the computing power means um, it does not consume as much as the energy as Bitcoin mining before. Mm -hmm. um, I suggest anyone is interested in this can read the scientific review uh, the energy consumption of blockchain technology beyond the myth. So they go into the numbers and which kind of mechanism uh, on each blockchain. And if you want to compare to banking and other internet of things that is still not really clear and we need more scientific proof to say that um, it's not good for the environment notwithstanding the energy consumption and also the, the e-waste issue that, that the mining issue it is. Technology, I mean, te blockchain technology can also support the environment protection. In particular, um, it's bring the opportunities to make existing consumption and production process more transparent, especially in supply chain. Um, and that would enhance their sustainability. Right. So, okay, so you- so you secure and timestamp. It cannot um, be entered, be modified, and also reduce the risk of fraud errors. All of this consequently um, for the more sustainability. And um, when you ask about the, the which country more proactive mm. in um, blockchain borderless, um, so I would say uh, it's not only about the, the, the country, but about which blockchain. Um, anyway, many other blockchain applications are potentially beneficial to renew, renewable energy diffusion. Um, and for example, IBM and Energy Blockchain Labs on, are experimenting some of the blockchain-based green assets management platform for trading carbon assets in China and in a more efficient way. So all of the big clouding and big computing partners are onboarding. And I think we are on aware of that. And conclusion, we, we need um, the, the conclusion of the environmental and sustainability implications of blockchain remain inefficiently analyzed. And we need more data to prove that. All right. Okay. Okay. Now that that's comprehensive, so that makes a lot of sense. So, so thank you for that. Um, okay. Let, let's get into the work that you're doing at um, DLF Network. Um, how is your company using blockchain to transform the, the health business? And um, some sub questions um, to add to this: one, who do you work in partnership with? Two, 
what are digital contracts? And three, can you provide my listeners with some examples of, of the real world solutions? Yeah, sure. So first of all, starting from my background uh, as the data scientist for more than 15 years, mm -hmm. I believe that everyone should share benefit equally from innovation and from the value of their data while remain in control of the access and the uses of the digital track. But it, when I did my PhD in uh, HIV vaccination and previously before that um, was with the influenza vaccine, it is a well known that access to patient data is the number one reason why medical research fail. And that's why a hit foundation and Centiva House exist. Somewhere at the story short, hit foundation is the public blockchain infrastructure for healthcare mm -hmm. uh, on to allow the incentive of on partners to make their process more efficient, more transparent, and valuable. Mm -hmm. Centiva House is one of the first applications. We build a decentralized platform for real-time health data. As mentioned before, the access to patient is really always difficult. And here we are the matchmaker, mm -hmm. um, like the Airbnb, but for healthcare sector, where the patient can get fairly paid for the uses of their data while retaining control over the healthcare data. That's, we put the owner of the health data back to the one who truly own it and also to help them to derive the citizen center research. On the demand side, for example, uh, MedTech, pharma researcher, policymaker, and so on, they mm -hmm. can access the patient directly, uh, give them the incentive and enable the real-world data collection. Um, this process helped them to reduce time and cost of data access and also to uh, help them with the GDPR compliance. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have been working with various various institutions, as mentioned, Fortmar, mm -hmm. uh, even WHO with the TB program, mm -hmm. um, policymaker, researcher, university, and so on. Okay. And I can give you some example. So the first example is the real world data uh, for the TB patient. Um, for, that's the, the pilot with Vietnam National Lung Hospital and WHO. As you know, for the TB patient, normally- Tuberculosis, the, you're talking about. Yeah, tuberculosis, yeah. Okay. Um, the program normally is eight or nine months. Mm -hmm. However, after about two, three months after getting the medicine, um, they feel that they are better and then they just disappear. It's mm -hmm. really difficult for them to follow up to the end. Um, and then there's so many issues happen and that's why the program is not efficient enough. So here together with the hospital, we incentivize the patient to report their daily or every 48 hours when they take the medicine. Uh, what's the side effect, time, and all kind of other uh, data input that the hospital need to know. Um, and then the patient just, you know, click on the app and report all of the, uh, the data here. Mm -hmm. In 
every time that we probably get the digital health point in return. In the end, they convert this to the free x-ray and free clinical examination in the hospital. So in this way, we incentivize the patient to follow up the program and adhere to the program to help them. And also on this data is helping the hospital in the further treatment uh, to the patient. Mm -hmm. so it's the win-win uh, situation. Another example is for the hemiphilia with um, one of our former partners uh, with the rare disease, um, the same issue that every time the patient report and record their uh, real world evidence, they get the digital health point. And in the end, they can redeem into the Uber um, or the, the Grab uh, point, and then they can use it, redeem in the different services. So in a way that you can convert your health data within your control into medical or non-medical services. And yeah, is it helped to every citizen that, okay, um, I participate in research, I can have the personalized medicine in the near futures. And in the end, I can get something fairly returned. The digital contract we use with name and symbol technology mm -hmm. versus the smart contract, it is like Blader versus legal. So mm -hmm. depend on your business, you can apply either. Uh, so for example, the, the Ethereum, that's Kenmet model, you can do as Blader. So you can mm -hmm. have any shape that is more fragile if you're not master of this. Why the digital contract, uh, like the name or simple, mm -hmm. um, they have some limitation with the edge and you have to, you cannot fit easily everything together, but it's more sturdy when you build something. So it's really depend on the business. Right, okay. So, um, so how about providing us with some other blockchain use cases in, in health sector? And that is of interest. Um, yeah, I mean, there are so many applications of blockchain in healthcare. Mm -hmm. I can say uh, we have it in, for us, we focus in the usage and uh, the, the owner of the data and access to patient data. Uh, but the other application can go to uh, supply chains, uh, identity management, financial insurance record. And due to COVID, I think one of the most interesting uh, application is the application of blockchain in uh, supply chain management. Mm -hmm. uh, it's helped to drive in the patient. Uh, so just for example, you know, from a ledger uh, and others, organization like FDA, they are in, intend to increase the regulatory oversight to honor the, the drugs supply chains. And um, by this, every time the medicine go from, you know, the resourcing into the final destination, for example, the, pharma, the pharmacy, then every time they transfer to different counters, they mm -hmm. have to input the logs of the temperatures of the condition and everything. And with this process on blockchain, uh, not the medicine itself. 
So everything is clear and transparent, it's, it's immutable. So no one can change it. And it's especially with the uh, COVID medicine that, you know, mm -hmm. is so much strict to the condition of the medicine that it have to meet certain requirement to have the final efficiency. And um, this application of blockchain is clearly one of the most beneficial to the societies these days. Well, what I'm hearing is there's a lot of transparency there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And then everyone can see and knows and no one can change it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as you say, it's immutable. So all right, that's, that's quite interesting. And um, is there anywhere people can find out more about that? Uh, I assume that would be on your site, wouldn't they? Um, we are not yet working in the medicine tracking, but I mean, Fortma Lecture is a consortium of, I think, eight or more than eight Fortmas, including Rush Novartis, Pfizer, Johnson Johnson, our MediLedger uh, project. Um, they are working with uh, the supply chain management and medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Okay, I, I want to change direction um, and, and talk about COVID. You, you've mentioned it um, a few times in our discussion, but just talk about COVID itself and the management of it. Um, I mentioned in the introduction that you were involved in drug design and development. So watching this pandemic for the last year must have been quite interesting for you on so many levels. Um, I'd like to talk not about the vaccination development, but more about the different countries handling of it. Um, Asia has managed the pandemic better than the West. I mean, this is the general view and consensus. What did they do differently? And what could the West learn from their practices and management of the pandemic? And as an addition to the question, with regards to the, the technologies in place to track and manage the pandemic, what do you see as the difference in the approaches in Asia as opposed to the West, if there are any differences? There, let's go to the number first. As COVID, um, so I think there are several reasons for that. First mm -hmm. of all, the Asian population is younger mm. in comparison to European or the North American ones. Mm -hmm. For example, the median population uh, Asian Asia is 31 years old as compared to 42 years old in Europe or particularly in Italy, one of the heaviest um, uh, impact of the, mm -hmm. the, the COVID-19 is 45.5, 35 in North America and COVID has more impact to the old people than the young one. I think it's the first reason. Mm -hmm. The second reason is just like, for example, we are living in Switzerland. We have no idea about the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not ready for that. Mm. Why in Asia, for example, the SARS outbreak in 2003 yeah. or yeah. in many other disease, we have so many diseases before. So they, they have the know-how to face the, the epidemic. And really, they took really, really early actions mm -hmm. as soon as the first cases were reported. I remember Taiwan, Vietnam, and so on. It just that the first three or 10 cases, they already closed the border, closed the, um, the, the school and closed everything. Mm -hmm. And back then, um, the country faced a lot of criticize, criticism for that. And mm. I say, oh, come on, it's just a few people in the whole country. But 
yeah, because of this early action um, and enforcing travel limitation, lockdown and everything. And they even also have the modern technology to trace and track the infection. Mm -hmm. um, why in Europe, we, we took much later mm. after many months, why um, after WHO declared as the global pandemic in February last year and then in May, sorry, in 13, 16 March, Mm -hmm. uh, last year, Switzerland started the lockdown. Mm -hmm. I think this is the number two reason. Uh, number three, the third reason is um, it's very obvious that the face mask is scientifically proved it's helped to protect and reduce the infection. And why in Asia is it just their has daily it, use? Has it, it. Actually been in, has it actually been proved that the, the masks do help against infections? That's... Um, scientifically approved that you can go to any you know nature.com or on kind of scientific uh, publication to to see that okay. even recently cdc recommend double layers of face mask uh, increase to 98% of protection okay. and why in asia is even before on and even without the pandemic uh, they already use it yes, so it yes. already helped from the beginning on and also, I, I mean, the last one is the geography, I believe. Um, Asia, most, I mean, many countries in Asia, uh, it's with hot weather. And normally um, the, the virus, like the cold weather more, mm -hmm. um, I would say there's some scientific uh, papers prove that. Mm -hmm. And for example, Australia or New Zealand, if we say they are included in um, this area is is they are isolated, so it's easier yeah. to manage compared to here. I mean, Europe, for example, crossing border is the real problem that they yeah. cannot just easily okay we shut down the border as other countries like in Asia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also with, with the, the the contact tracing app that's developed in the West, there's a lot of reluctance to have this app, where as a, assuming. There's not, there's not such a big negative um, reaction to the contact tracing apps um, in parts of Asia? Um, I think it depends on the country, but here people concern really much about the data privacy. Mm -hmm. And that's why to have the national wise tracing app without the government control and tracing and tracking every citizen is the real problem. We mm. had early on one of our modules to do that so that um, the patient, no, I would say the citizen remain anonymous and not tracking. So we trace the virus, not tracing people. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I think uh, one of the failures is just education, the mass, the people, the society is, it's difficult. I think the government also have a lot of problem here because not everyone is on the same page about the, mm. the privacy and they're just concerned and it's easier for them to say no to everything than just to learn something new. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think they probably need to get the communications done better so that people be more accepting and willing to get on board. Um, generally, the, the health tech industry has 
boomed and, and to a degree benefited from this pandemic. You yourself said that COVID has accelerated digitalization, changed it from a nice to have to uh, a, a must have. Can you please tell my listeners um, for my last question, what are you seeing? What has impressed you? What excites you? And what have we got to look forward to? Uh, I think what impressed me much is when we talk about the healthcare, uh, we imply is sick care, right? Yes. And and from the pandemic is truly go to the healthcare that we concern it before we get sick. So before people don't really concern about many things, include their data privacy mm -hmm. or the sharing of their data, what can help. Mm -hmm. to trace and track to and beneficial for them when they get sick they just do not care enough mm -hmm. so now we give back the meaning of healthcare is on not only when you're sick but also when you are healthy yes every data every pieces of information is helpful and for me um what impressed me much um is the the telemedicine i mean before that we talk about so much of the application and the beneficial of telemedicine, but um, to to have the trigger to force it into place is need forever. And boom, uh, pandemic happened, and almost now I would say almost everyone is familiar with um, the the telemedicine, right? What sorry? What's telemedicine? Yeah, we save time, we save costs, we save a lot of things, and we don't have to go there if it's not accessory mm -hmm. yeah and also the the trend of the automation uh in the health it services divine robotic and many other contactless innovation uh, for example one of the the company startup in healthcare sector impressed me much uh, is carol and they they have the device for the, the elderly people uh, to get help when needed and because of COVID, they uh, they have to do the overproduction for everyone. Mm -hmm. so, but um, and I look forward to the mass adoption of many other similar innovative solution, um, and especially not only to protect the citizen, but also protect the data. Your data is your health. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, just, just a quick point, um, we. Um, uh, I think what you're talking about, you're saying with the healthcare, it's now a holistic approach, as in it's all about your well-being, not just when you're sick, but general healthcare, which I think is one of the things that impress you. You also mentioned, um, did you call it telemedicine, or did I misunderstood? Yeah, it's telemedicine, telehealth, tele telemedicine or tena. Tele, it's okay. like yeah, you do the telephone and you can oh, have a consultant with your doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, I thought you said tenor. I was just thinking, I've not heard of that phrase. So Sorry. thanks for clarifying that for me. That's excellent, excellent. Fascinating, fascinating conversation today at Heads Talk. Dr. Weevil Reinhardt, many thanks for your time and insights. It's a pleasure to be here, and I hope I give some insightful information for you. And you. you have indeed. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you 
for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.